It is March 5th, 2009. Welcome to the lucky number 13 episode of Digital Photography Life. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Michael Stein. And today we have an interview with Nicholas Boothman. He is the author of the book, How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less, which is a very valuable skill for a photographer to have and we'll tell you why. But first, the theme music. So, Michael, what do you think of that premise, how to make people like you in 90 seconds or less? Would that be a useful skill for you? I think that'd be a very compelling skill to have because, uh, you know, first of all, I want people to like me and, you know, they know me all my life. And so I'm working on just having people like me. So 90 seconds would make it even better. See, I, I find the first 90 seconds are usually when people do like me. <laughs> it's when they get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's all that time <laughs> after the first minute and a half that I have troubles with. <laughs> so it works both ways. Yeah, the first minute and a half is a honeymoon, baby. Oh, then the honeymoon's over. I see. No, but it's a very interesting interview. Nicholas is a great guy. He's um, very smart. He speaks with an English accent. So that automatically makes him seem much smarter than we. Mm, yeah, that does that. Add a couple extra IQ points. It, it seems to, it make whatever he says. I, I feel it's more trustworthy than if he said it with, you know, our American flat accents. It's a very elegant accent. It is a very elegant accent. And if you'd like an element camera element, if you'd like an elegant camera strap for your DSLR, why don't you get one from our sponsor, Smug Mug, for free? Check out Scott's photo blog for a link to where you can get a free camera strap. From your DSL for your DSLR from Smug Mug, you will also find out how you can save fifty percent on your first year of service with Smug Mug. And everyone who we have turned on to the service tells us that they love it. Well, of course they do. If you want to see a Smug Mug site, you can check out ours. It's dplife.smugmug.com. And if we wanted to, Smug Mug would let us. There's a way you can make that your own domain name. Oh yes. Well, you have to buy a domain name. And then register it, and, uh, and then you just sort of map it over to your right. site. So you can have a Smug Mug site that looks like it's your own photo gallery with nothing to do with Smug Mug, but we like keeping the Smug Mug name in there, right? Yeah. Well, you put you you can also just be whatever your name is dot smugmug dot com. Like it could be Michael Stein. Matter of fact, I have one called Michael Stein dot smugmug dot com. You just told everybody <sighs> my secret. Is now out. they're going to come look at your pictures. No, please don't. Well, speaking of sponsors, let's welcome aboard Lens Baby, our newest sponsor. Uh, we've always asked that if somebody wants to uh, advertise to our listeners that they offer them a deal. And just as Smug Mug is offering you guys a free camera strap and a half half off the first year of service, Lens Baby is giving away a free 0.6x wide angle macro conversion lens. For free, if you buy a Lens Baby Composer, and you can buy it from any retailer, which is nice. You don't have to just buy it from Lens Baby. So how does that work? You buy it from a retailer, then what happens? Then you go to personallifemedia.com slash Lens Baby, and there'll be an ad midway through the show where we'll repeat that address. 
Um, and that's where all the promo details are. But, you know, you send in your proof of purchase or whatever, and you get your wonderful wide-angle macro lens. And that's that's what you and I want, right? That's a, that's something we don't have. and uh, We don't have it. Well, like maybe I'll send in my proof of purchase. You can, but you didn't purchase it. That's you true. You stole it. Don't you remember <laughs> how well, we broke into that I'd camera I'd love to have one, one of those. I'd love to have one of those lenses. Yeah, and it's, it's very neat because the lens, is, it's one lens that's a 0.6x wide angle. The rear element unscrews, and then it becomes a macro filter. So you just, you just pop you it in. Within you... three to five inches of what you're shooting. So you just pop it into the, uh, the system, correct? Yes. So it's two cool lenses in one. Nice. I like it. So check out the ad in the middle of the show. Now, if people want to check out more about us, where can they find us? Well, you can email us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. You can find our show at photography.personallifemedia.com. You can also Twitter us at twitter.com slash dplife. Um, you can also find Scott's photo blog. This is where you can read the show, more detailed show notes and also make some comments about the show um, at scottsphotoblog.com. And it's also a digitalphotographylife.com site. Very cool. We like being everywhere on the web, right? You're, yeah, we like to be everywhere you can be. In real life, no one can find us. But on the web, <laughs> we're very easy to find. So we've had a couple of contests in the first episodes of Digital Photography Life. You want to tell people who some of our winners are since we're starting to roll that out? Sure. We had a camera strap winner from Camera Town, and that was, uh, I don't know how to pronounce your name necessarily. It's Rendian Theriantro. I don't know. Well, Rendian and won that. and then Congratulations, a, Rendian. And Adobe Photoshop CS4, a full version there. That was a very nice prize. It was uh, by Sean Wardell. Wardell. And, Sean, congratulations. Yes. And Lens, the Lens Baby composer was, Speaking Kirk, of. was Kirk Winslow. I, I don't know. Kirk, go buy your own wide-angle macro lens since <laughs> you won the... Well, uh, composer. That's still not a bad deal getting a free... Oh, Kirk, you know, we heard from Kirk. He was very excited. I remember his email. Oh, yeah. And I think he said he would like to come and tell us about his impressions about it when, uh, when he, after he gets it. Yes. And the nice people at Lens Baby, I believe Kirk already have that on its way out to you. And we also had three winners for the Rick Salmon book, Digital Photography Secrets, which is Daniel Last, David Pasco, and Steve. I don't know his last name yet. Steve, I, well, now this is what happens. People send us emails with their contest entries, and then we write back you won. Sometimes the email doesn't have their last name. Yeah. Some of these people haven't gotten back to us yet. No, right? actually, he had gotten back to us, and I just, I just forgot to look. <laughs> that was just my bad, Steve. Steve, forgive him. We can only call you Steve, but congratulations, Steve, the three of you win Rick Seven's book. Is there anybody in the list we haven't heard from yet? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. So congratulations to all of our winners and, and we'll try to catch up on the rest of the shows, uh, on the rest of the giveaway. I, I think we only have one or two left, right? One or two what? Cause we, we announced some giveaways last week, right? We did? Yeah. That's what you told me on the last show. We announced some winners. Oh yeah. The first winners from the early. Right. And the, now there, there are these, I don't know if there's any contests. I don't think so. I don't think, I think we're caught up. We have to check. We need, we need some uh, people with uh, stuff to give away. 
So you know it's weird. A lot of the listeners we hear from are women, but this whole list is men. And they're from like countries out of the U.S. Yes, we have a very international audience, at least who wins, right? Yeah, they're very active. Yeah, people are sending these gifts far and wide across the globe. I think that's great. So any photography news have you been shooting? I've been shooting, and I went to the New York City area the last weekend. And funny thing, on my Nikon D200, uh, has a serious problem going on with it right now. Ooh, where, what's that? Where um, the, all the buttons in the back panel do not uh, respond. Well, they're just decorative. <laughs> so basically, what happens is I can't preview. I can't go into the the viewing mode. I can't go into the menu mode. And so, and because of that, I um, it's it's sort of like having a film camera. <laughs> you know, imagine it's like I felt like it was very strange because I'm shooting and like I get no feedback and I'm just relying on my my instincts and you know I'm I'm being paying extra attention to the metering and making sure I I do things well. And uh, Ooh, can you do things like change ISO and shutter speed? Yeah, I can change all the top buttons, so I can okay. you know, so I can change many different things because th- those items from the top panel of the camera, where the the white balance and the ISO and what mode I'm in, and I can my command dials work. I'm getting some static on my line here. That you know what is your iPhone near your phone? That sounds like iPhone noise. Hmm. Well, anyway, step away from the iPhone, Michael. <laughs> So maybe it's some sort of feedback. Um, so you can't. What so what else? You you can't preview, play back your pictures. What else can't you do? So uh, yeah, and I can't change my menu settings. So basically, I need to send it back. Now the camera is two and a half years old, which I just happened to be noting because of how old it was. I was asking myself, when do I upgrade my cameras? You know, am I due for an upgrade? And uh, I noticed that my camera is about thirty months old. And my last happy birthday. And my yeah, so I was a D two hundred, and then my last camera was a D seventy, and that was um, twenty nine months old, I think. Ooh. And then I had Aren't then I had then I pattern. then before that I had a Nikon um, sort of Coolpix, was it fifty seven hundred, and that way I had that for like twenty four months, and then I had um, a, an Olympus two megapixel camera C two thousand Z, and I had that for. Uh, 29 months as well. So I'm basically in my zone of upgrading. I'm, I'm, and so what's it going to be? I don't know yet. The D3, the D300? It's uh, not going to be the D3, I don't think. That's a little bit rich for my blood. You won't be selling any of the children or you any know, of it's, it's, it's really, it's it's between the D90, the D300, and the D700. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, some prices are going up these days for lenses. Oh really? I've been no, noticing. I did not yeah, know that. lenses have been going up. Uh, like the twenty-four to seventy millimeter lens was something like fifteen hundred dollars a few weeks back, and now it's uh, about nineteen hundred dollars. That's a big increase. And the four, tw- the fourteen to twenty-four millimeter lens, which was also about fifteen hundred, is also that's about eighteen hundred. Well, in these troubled times, why are these prices going up? I'm expecting that has something to do with the American. And Japanese oh, exchange, exchange rate? rates is what oh, my no. my expectation is. I haven't been paying attention to that, right. but it's been sort of jumping up, and uh, and partially I noticed because I put them on my Amazon.com shopping cart, and then my oh, shopping yeah, cart right. alerts me to the price changes of things. Right, and it's sort of a nice way to check the market if how things are going. That's so, 
because those lenses have gone up, and that um, the D seven hundred with the kit lens went up from twenty six hundred to twenty nine hundred or something like that. You know, everything has gone up. So what thing? One thing that hasn't gone up is a D ninety, which is nine hundred dollars. Well, you need to go into the past and buy one of those other cameras. <laughs> yeah. The D ninety is full frame or it's crop. Frame? It's a crop frame. Okay. But then again, all my lenses are you know not all, right. but everything you know. All my, my main lenses are crop lenses anyway, so right. that'd be a much more you know I mean inexpensive way for me to go. Well, our our economy is going to turn around any day now, so don't worry about it. Oh yes, that big infusion of money. <laughs> and then we'll all be good. You'll get your big tax break. <laughs> yeah, right. It'll make up the difference. I don't think so. All right. Well, let's get into the interview because I really can't wait for people to hear it with Nicholas Boothman, author of among other books. I mentioned it in the interview. But among other books, How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. But before that, let's give 60 seconds of our time to this important announcement. We are on the phone with Nicholas Boothman. Uh, Nick, welcome to Digital Photography Life. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, Nick, you have led a couple of lifetimes. You're a former fashion and advertising photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, you're an expert in communications and in making connections. Your first two books are How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less and How to Connect in Business in 90 Seconds or Less. I know you have another one about forming romantic relationships, right? Yeah, my third book, which came out, um, well, was is now uh, on the shelves. is called How to Make Someone Fall in Love with You in 90 Minutes or Less. It takes a little bit longer. It takes a whole 90 minutes to make someone fall in love with me? Well, you know something? It actually doesn't take a whole lot longer. But, you know, it's like my first book. If I'd have written, because we, we now know from a lot of research that we decide how we feel about someone within the first two seconds of seeing them. I mean, any of your, any of your photographers will know that, that the moment a model walks through the door, you immediately know. Mm-hmm. where it's going to go and how much work it's going to take. Um, and uh, this, with love, uh, we know that if, when you find the right person, it doesn't really take more than about five minutes to sow the seeds of love, but it, it is all about finding the right person. Well, you, you could speed it up if you're driving the right car, right? No, <laughs> no this is about a long-term relationship, not about a quick night out. Oh, okay. and, uh, no, no, it's, all, my, all my books are about turning first impressions into, into lasting relationships. Well, well, we'll look forward to the next book, which is, you know, 30 seconds to a one-night stand, because that can go a lot quicker. <laughs> um, so I have to tell people, it's a funny way that you came to be on the show. I was browsing audiobooks because I was taking a long car ride. And I came across your title, and it sounded interesting. It got great reviews on iTunes, so I thought it would be an interesting audio book for my drive. And the minute I saw the title, I thought, you know, this is something that could pertain to photographers. Because I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, Nick, everything I see, you know, I'm thinking about for the show and what other photographers might be interested in hearing about. And I thought, you know, it's kind of offbeat that you would think of photographers as being in the business of having to make quick people connections. But, you know, it seemed like something that might be useful. And I start listening to the tape in my car. And the first thing you start talking about is that you were a professional photographer. And that's what got you interested in 
de developing skills that would allow you to make very quick, positive connections with your models. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I mean, after uh, very early on in my photography career, I began to notice that wherever I because I shot exclusively fashion and, and advertising, but I was a people shooter, and. Um, I realized very early on that wherever I went, there were some people who could get on with anybody immediately and other people that couldn't get on with anyone, not even themselves most of the time. <clears throat> and as I went back to these studios year after year to do different things, different fashion shoots or whatever, um, the, 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 the first group, the ones that could get on with anybody, their lives got better. Their health was good. Their, they were great to be around. And the others, their lives got worse and their posture got worse. And so, so I was fascinated. And besides uh, taking pictures, I, I then thought, I'm going to study this. I'm going to find out what's going on because it seems to have nothing to do with looks and nothing to do with talent. Now... You wrote this book um, coming from being a photographer, but you, you've brought a lot of research in other fields to these techniques, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I mean, I... Uh, I, I, I got out of photography. It all began one night when I would get asked to go and talk to to camera clubs. Sometimes I'd, I'd, sometimes I would go, and 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 one night I was asked to talk to a, a, a camera club, an amateur camera club in a very wealthy um, part of North Toronto. And I knew what it would be like when I got there. I knew they would probably every person there would probably have better equipment than I've got and, and read more photographic magazines than I've ever read before. So I thought, you know, because they were all wealthy professional people, and I was right, when I got there, they all had their fishing jackets on and lenses sticking out of pockets mm -hmm. and, and in those days, rolls of film and things. But but I thought, what can I teach these guys that they probably haven't read in, in the books? And I thought, I know, I'm going to teach them about establishing rapport because for anybody that shoots uh, people for a living, whether it's weddings or advertising, you are, first and foremost, in the people business, you know. Secondly, you're in the in the photographic business. But if you can't connect with people, I don't care how good your pictures are. You, it's, you're not going to get anywhere, unless you're some outrageous uh, star for for Vogue. But that's very difficult. And that's about people too. So in my very first, uh, in this particular night, I spoke uh, for one hour. I spoke five minutes on photography. You know, basically, you know, take the lens cap off, shove some film in and put your lights here, there and everywhere. And 55 minutes about establishing rapport. At the end of the session, three people came up to me, a doctor, a teacher, and somebody who trains airline personnel. And they said, can you come and do this talk for, for my people? Not the photography bit, the rest. I went home and said to my wife, I think I've got a new career. <laughs> And I did. I went for it. Well, you're not a professional photographer anymore, but since this is a photography podcast, I have to ask, are you still an amateur? Do you still like to shoot? Well, let me, let me tell you something. We'll send the shiver, shivers down the, the spine of, 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 your, of your listeners. Uh -huh. <clears throat> when I decided um, to, to become a speaker on this subject, uh, I very quickly realized that it would help if I had a book, and preferably one with a great title, and even better, a bestseller. So I set about writing my first book. But every so often, I, so I literally, I live on a farm. I, I set myself up, and I've, I promised myself I'd write 1,500 words a day before I got dressed. 
That was the deal. If okay. I didn't ride them, I couldn't go out. So I started, and, and, and not long after, I, I, de- I decided I wanted a laptop because I didn't have one back then. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, I want a laptop. But people would keep phoning me, offering me photo shoots, and I would say, no, 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 I'm, I'm writing a book. And, they, and, they would, and they'd make me such a good offer that basically I would go off and do the shoot. Then I would think, what am I doing giving up photography and writing this book? So it would take me a long time to get back into the book. So one day I went off and I looked at laptops, and I found a laptop in, in, in downtown Toronto, an Acer. At the time, it was 1700 bucks. I thought, that's what I want. My wife was away on holiday. I went and got my cameras, which were Hasselblads. I had 35, they were insured for 35,000 bucks. I had uh, three bodies. I had most lenses you can think of, backs, all this. Sort of thing. Went into my, <laughs> my camera dealer and said, I want to sell my cameras. Ooh. Now, they'd known, me, they'd known me for years. They said, Nick, what, are you crazy? I said, no, I want to sell my cameras. They said, well, okay, fine. Well, we'll put them in the window, and they should do really well. They're Hasselblads. Just the prism, should, you should get 1,200. I said, no, I want to sell them right now. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, I want to sell them right this very minute. He said, well, how much do you want? I said, $1,700. He said, Nick, are you sure? I said, yeah. So he got his checkbook out and gave me a, a check for 1700 bucks, and I left the Hasselblad behind. And I actually know for a fact that he did sell the prison for 1100 Wow. So, so there you go. But that was my – look, when you, change, when you do something in this life, it's my experience that you need to, to burn some bridges. That was my burning my bridge. I couldn't go back. All right. So you like to do – when you change, you change galvanically, huh? Well, if 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 I if 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 I know if I have utter faith in where I'm going. However, to answer your question, I have since and this and this was that was about uh, twelve fourteen years ago. I've since um, only recently bought a, a camera and uh, and digital stuff and and I have some fun with it. You enjoying it? It's okay. Listen, digital is a heck of a lot better than the, the old days of Polaroids. It's a lot shoving easier. A pol- shoving a Polaroid up your shirt on a cold day to warm it up and counting down the time. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I was a little nervous talking to you because you are the expert in forming a quick rapport and making that connection. We've been talking for about eight minutes, 35 seconds. Have I lost you yet? No, not at all. Okay, good, good. <laughs> because people worry a lot about what to say when they meet someone new, when they're thinking about, you know, making that new relationship, they, they put a lot of time into what words they're going to use. And one of mm. the things I got from your book was that the words you use are not really one of the top two most important things that come across when you make that first impression. Is, is that right? Well, it, well, when you, when you make a first impression, absolutely not. Your first impression comes from we. we uh, it comes from your attitude. We're hardwired. We have a uh, we have something called a reptilian brain that's hardwired to for something we call the fight or flight response. But basically, uh, when we look at somebody, we we judge them by their attitude, and, and your attitude is basically um, your body language. Uh, basically, when someone walks through a door uh, into your studio or wherever, you've completely formed an opinion of them by the time they got themselves through the door. Uh, they haven't even opened their mouth. But when it comes, but obviously, sooner or later, people have to speak to each other. And, you know, the, the truth is that, that everyone is basically a genius until they open their mouth. <laughs> um, we, we do tend to give people that. So, but, so what are you going to say when you do open your mouth? If, if you're the kind of person that finds it difficult. Um, and there are some very simple things to do. Look, the best way to learn what to say is just watch, just watch a good talk show on TV. Go and watch Dave Leno, if, if he's still on, or, or, or David Letterman, or any of these guys, and see how they do it. They do something which I call um, uh, talk show questions, which is basically 
a statement followed by an open question. For, for example, um, you know, the, if I was in New York, a, a statement would be to somebody would be, I hear New York's a great place. A good open question would be, if I only had four hours, what should I see? Mm-hmm. By now you've got somebody talking. You've used a statement and you've used an open question. See, I was going to start the interview with, you have a wonderful accent. Where are you from? There you go. That's the statement. And then I was going to go into, I've never been there before. Tell me what it's like. There you go. There you go. That was right from the book. Well, well, (laughs) absolutely. But you know what? It's true and it's easy and it's comfortable. Uh, It's when you start asking closed-ended questions, ridiculous questions like, how are you today? Well, what's the person going to say? Heaven forbid they tell you the truth. Oh, my back's sore and my neck's sore and I couldn't park the car. Oh, you want to set the stage with something. Then it's, look, it's just basic good manners. Mm -hmm. So you write in the book, you quote some studies actually that say that the majority of of what makes that first impression is the visual. Is that correct? Well, we know that that 55% of all face-to-face communication comes from what we see. Um, 38% comes from the tone of your voice, and about 7% comes from the words we use. And when all three things are saying the same thing, you will be trusted. But you know what, to your listeners, don't get too carried away, because, you know, the more complicated it gets, the more, the more, the more awesome and off-putting it gets. You know, being basically open, the, 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 the um, the, the three things, the, the New York Times put me on the street and, and, and a few other newspapers to try and prove that my first book wouldn't work. <laughs> you know what, I just, and they didn't prove it. And if you go to my website at nicholasboothman.com, you can read the articles about what happened. But, you know, but I did nothing special when I went to speak to people. I did the basics. I, I adjusted my attitude to what I call a useful attitude because I'll tell you, in photography especially, um, when I teach, talk to business audiences, I talk about really useful attitudes and really useless attitudes, useful and useless attitudes, not positive and negative. And there are some people that come across with really useless attitudes, even though they don't, they don't even realize it. They may come across as looking rude or bored or hostile. That's useless. If you look, the, the simplest ones to use as a photographer, you can come across as, as, as curious or as enthusiastic or welcoming or resourceful. Any of those are great attitudes. Um, and the other, the other thing, things which are incredibly simple, which you actually have to do in the first second and a half, are look them in the eye, smile, and open your body language. Um, Eye contact says trust is in the air. A smile unconsciously says that a person is happy and confident. An open body language signals that they're not going to hurt you. So don't stand with your arms crossed, right? At least in a tight way, right? Yeah. Uh, You talk in the book about leaning in a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, but yeah, absolutely. Again, I don't want people to get too, too uptight about it. You know, it's, if you, if you, if you, adjust, first of all, if you adjust your attitude when someone walks in, look, you know, when, 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 when any of these talk show hosts go on TV, I guarantee you that behind the scenes they are not like they are two seconds later when they walk out onto the set. They simply say to themselves, okay, showtime, and out they go, and they adjust their attitude. And it's and, it, and other people pick up on it and respond to it. So, you know, adjust your attitude, give a little bit of eye contact. If you can't smile, I have a, a trick that I learned from professional models. Some professional models don't have a natural smile, but they have a trick. They say the word great over and over to themselves in, in crazy voices as they walk on the set. It makes their eyes light up and it makes their, their face smile. And, you know, open body language means absolutely what you just said. Don't cross your arms. Don't fold your arms. Don't sort of sit down with yourself turned away from somebody. Just be welcoming. 
One of the things, speaking of attitude, one of the hints that I liked in your book was next, if, you, if you're nervous going into the counter, the encounter, instead of thinking about, you know, your pounding heart and your, your, your racing pulse as being nervousness, think about it as being excitement because excitement is a more positive, useful, productive emotion to feel. Yeah, and, 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 and realistically, it's probably what you are. You right. probably are actually excited more than you are. I don't quite understand what nervous means. Does it mean that you're fearful? Uh, are you afraid? Are you uh, whatever? I don't know. Being excited is fine. You, you're all because when you're nervous, you're also excited. So excited is good, and it's also enthusiastic. Now, in the book, you talk about something called synchronizing with yeah. the other person as a way to establish rapport. What is that yeah. about? Funny, funnily enough, there, there are lots of studies uh, uh, done about this that prove that we, uh, you know, one day old babies cry when they hear other babies cry. What's that all about? The fact is that, that we synchronize ourselves with other people from the beginning. It's, it's in us. That's how we learn our, our skills, our habits, how to hold our knives and forks, how to talk and think. We synchronize ourselves with the people around us. But funnily enough, when I was a fashion shooter, I found it much simpler to get the models to synchronize with me when I was behind the camera. Well, I'm sure most photographers do that. Basically, it's like saying, you know, don't stand like that. Stand like this, and you do it yourself. You're just asking them to synchronize with you. Turns out that if you naturally synchronize the overall body movements and voice tone, uh, and even attitude of the people you're with, they will feel there's something comfortable and familiar about about you. And familiar is good in this this, uh, this situation. And you talk in the book about how to sort of get in synchronization with the other person, not in an obnoxious or copycat way, but subtly to you know make some of the same motions, use some of the same body language, and then also how to sort of tell if they're in synchronization with you by seeing if they follow your lead as, as you start yeah. to develop that. Yeah, you can test it, but that, again, that's that's you don't need to go that far. Look, just just when you're out with somebody you feel comfortable with, or when you're in a restaurant next, look around the restaurant and notice the people who are synchronized. They're probably sitting the same way. They're probably talking in the same tone of voice. It's probably happened to you. You you, you cross your legs, and the person you're talking to crosses their legs, or vice versa, or you lean forward at the table to say something, and they lean forward. This is perfectly natural. It's uh, we naturally synchronize with other people. Mm-hmm. When we feel comfortable with them, so just go ahead and synchronize. It doesn't mean if they stick their finger in their ear or up their nose, you should do the same thing. It just means do the overall, uh, the overall things that are necessary to make their body feel comfortable and relaxed with yours. You explain in the book that people have different sensory styles and that, that the degree to which you can pick up and understand their sensory style, you might be able to communicate with them more effectively. Well, there's no might about it. You actually can. Again, when I was a photographer, I learned this before I even started studying neurolinguistics and any of this stuff. I mean, I remember doing a, a photo shoot for Norwegian Caribbean lines um, maybe 20 years ago. And in the briefing, uh, when I went off on the cruise and we shot 25,000 pictures. But, but um, I remember in the briefing with the client, they said, you know, we know that... Um, that everybody goes on holiday because for the food and to get away. But we also know that some people go um, 
for a change of scenery. In other words, just what things look like. Some people go uh, just to get away with the fresh air and the, and the warmth and the thing. In other words, what it feels like. And some people go away for peace and quiet or to get different sounds. And it turns out that that's absolutely true. It turns out that in, in our culture, um, about half the population primarily respond to the world by the way things look. About a third of the population respond to the world through physical sensation and a very small percentage through sound. And I can actually give you, if you want, a very quick example of that, which, which is in the book. Let's say I'm a travel agent and someone comes into my travel agency and says, I want to go on holiday. If I could spot that that person was, was, let's say, primarily kinesthetic, in other words, that they experience the world through physical sensation by the way things feel, I would say to that person, I've got a great place for you. Uh, the sand is soft, the water's warm, and the beds are comfortable. I'm actually telling them what it feels like. Mm -hmm. If if they if I could spot, for example, that they are they are uh, auditory, that sound is their main uh, sense, I would say to them, you know, I've got a great place. All you can hear are the waves and the gulls. It's away from all the noise of the city. And if they're visual, I would say, look at the pictures. When you're dealing with your models, or even more importantly, with clients, when you can get on the same wavelength as your client, there is enormous, uh, enormous bonding and rapport that happens, and you can do it very quickly. And it, it seems harder than it is, right? It, it's incredibly simple. You know, we, we, you, once once you, we flick the switch in somebody, I, obviously it's, it, you need you need to, to, to well, there's an exercise in the book. It's got 14 simple questions just to give you an insight. But you know, very very quickly you'll be out there, and a, and a, and a client will walk in, uh, or a customer will walk in, and they'll say something, and you'll immediately realize they just they just completely said uh, they just completely spoke in visual language or or sound language or feeling language, uh, and they, it's, 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 it's a really, you have to stop yourself from laughing because mm -hmm. suddenly all this stuff you didn't know about before is happening right in front of you. And, and as soon as they do that, you move straight in onto their wavelength. You know, an example I liked in the book was you uh, said, you know, while some of this stuff might seem at first like it would be difficult, think of it this way. If you get a new car, and I think the example you gave in the book was a blue Miata. Yeah. Um, you might think, wow, you know, I'm getting this this kind of rare, unique car. And then all of a sudden, when you're driving your blue Miata, you notice all over the road a hundred other blue Miatas because well, now yeah, it's you in start, your consciousness. You to, yeah. Where before you would never have noticed them, now you start to notice them. But even simpler than that, I have five children, you know, and, 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 and I, I know what are their primary uh, sens sensory preferences. So it's as simple as if to my visuals, uh, to my son who's visual, he's a, he's a, a stockbroker. I would just say, hey, Thomas, uh, how does this look to you? How, does it, how do you picture this? How do you see this working out? In other words, I'm just talking, asking the question visually. To my auditory child, I would say, you know, how does this sound to you? And to my kinesthetic child, or to my wife who's also kinesthetic, I would say, how do you feel about something? Mm -hmm. It can be that simple. Immediately, um, you know, it's like putting the round peg, the square peg, and the triangular peg, getting the pegs to the right hole. makes a big difference. It goes in very easily when you get them, the proper ones lined up, and it's very simple. Of course, the first thing you have to do is to find out what is your primary sense, mm -hmm. um, because you'll probably find that that's why I get on with some people and not with others. You've been getting on with people who share the same primary sense as you. I've decided I'm auditory from the book. You, you, well, then you probably are, actually. You probably are. And, and I was going back and forth a little bit because, you know, sometimes you can answer the questions um, one way or the other depending on your mood. But then I realized I start half of my sentences with listen. Yep. And I was like, okay, there's a clue.
they, as a clue. <laughs> you know, and there are plenty more clues in the book about the way people dress, the, the speed they speak at, um, uh, the kind of vocabulary they use. And um, you, you mentioned that broadcasters and writers are often auditory. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the it's their currency, isn't it? I hope so. And, and let's hope that you're see, – see, as a photographer, I'm actually auditory, but as a photographer, um, I'm not visual. And, and yet I did, through my career, I did meet a lot, quite a few visual photographers. And their style was much more – was much better, probably much – well, it was more personal and more developed than mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was uh, – you know, mine was uh, full of flights of fantasy that, um, but whatever. So are we getting off topic? <laughs> no, it is kind of on topic because it's all related. And, you know, it is interesting that you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. I mean, I'm very interested in photography and visual arts. But, yeah. you know, the auditory part takes place. We do contests on the show. And uh, I sometimes, when I'm looking at a photograph, will be my my view of the photograph and my opinion of it can be swayed by the caption that the photographer gave it. And we've had other judges of our contests who say, you know, I never let a caption in, uh, influence me. The picture is the picture. The caption has nothing to do with it. For me, I feel like it's a whole. You know, the words of the picture, they're all communicating an idea. They work together. So it is interesting how your different, um, you know, sensory preferences do work together. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I... I hate titles on pictures or paintings <laughs> because I would rather just look at it and form get my own feeling from it rather than um, than, than oh you know I, here I was thinking that that makes me feel free and fresh and I could, could jump over the Eiffel Tower and the title is you know dark, Death Star at Night or something you know uh, I, I don't want to know <laughs> I don't, you know I, I, there's a great quote by Anton Chekhov the the the, 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 uh, the Russian playwright and he said that um, uh, art is infection. Um, an artist is able to immediately infect somebody else with a feeling through their art. Um, and so I believe that that should be done, otherwise they're not an artist, that should be done as far as pictures go without words. Uh, so in other words, I, I, have a, that, I have a feeling when I took that picture, and I'm not going to put any words to it, but when you look, look at that picture, if you have the same feeling, I've succeeded. See, and, I, and I'm very comfortable with multiple infections, especially since I just came from the dentist. Now, <laughs> let's talk about some specific situations that photographers get into, and mm-hmm. maybe you could give us some clues on, on some, maybe using some of the skills we talked about before, some that we haven't gotten to yet, uh, what someone can do in these situations to establish an immediate positive bond between themselves and the person they're dealing with, Okay. You mean the trust as well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Go ahead. So here's the first situation. You're, you're doing some street photography, and yeah. you see somebody who is attractive or interesting, a stranger who you'd like to photograph. So you want to approach them, ask them for permission to take their photograph, and maybe it's in your mind you'd also like to get them to sign a model release. So yeah. what are some quick things you could do? You're out there in the street to form that trust and connection. Well, I think the first thing, is, as, as I said before, is you, you have to adjust your attitude as you, as you approach them. And you go up and you look them in the eye, you smile, you open your body language, and you say, may I please ask you a question? Okay, so they're already they're going to have to say yes or no. <laughs> uh, if they say no, then, then leave it. Right. Uh, if, if you've done it correctly um, and, and with, with, with humility, um, 
chances are they'll say okay, and then you simply ask them. Uh, again, if you if you if you go to my website and you look at the, there's a there's a, a section there called uh, what the skeptics said, which was when the New York Times put me on the street to go and bump into people and to immediately make them like me, and 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 actually the Houston Chronicle did it in about 20 different newspapers around the U.S. and I basically did the same thing. I dressed in a fairly respectful way, went up to them, and said, "Excuse me, can I ask you a question quickly?" And uh, and then I asked them, and I said, "Look, and and but you know, it it should be it should be fairly legitimate, whatever project you're you're involved in. You know, mm-hmm. if you sort of say I can make you into a big star. Look, here's the bottom line: if it's not true, people won't trust you. You have to, it's all about getting trust from people in the street. Mm-hmm. All right, so approach them honestly, and have in your mind a positive attitude um, that you are." Uh, open and that you are being genuine and, and you're not looking to exploit the person, but to... Um... Not a positive attitude, a useful attitude. Uh, useful being, as I said before, uh, curious, resourceful, welcoming, or enthusiastic are all very good. You know, something, it doesn't hurt. Um, I made sure that I actually carried a pen in my hand, which was closed, so obviously closed. It was a fountain pen that was closed, so I obviously wasn't going to start writing things down. But it did give them a chance to see my hands. And when people can see your hands, they tend to feel a bit safer, unconsciously a bit safer about you. So just politely go up to somebody and say, excuse me, may I ask you a quick question? Mm-hmm. Uh, but make sure your voice tone is, is, has a good attitude behind it. Because, you know, if you walk up to someone and say, hello, how are you today? They're going to run for it. Right. <laughs> right. All right, so don't pretend to be doing anything else. Get to your business. Respect the person's time. Just be respectful, yeah. Okay. Um, Another situation, you maybe are approaching somebody to sell them a portrait package or, you know, to come to the home, uh, a shot for them or their children or in your studio. When you're first meeting somebody and you know you're going to try to sell them something, what's the best way to get off to a good start? Well, you know what? I have I have very strong feelings about this. There, there are there are different ways you can you can make your mark as a in any business as a photographer. I'm a great believer in 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 making it that people come to you rather than you go to them, which is exactly what you did with me today. I here's here's um, for all the people out there who are uh, who are in photography and running it as a business, not just for fun. Um, become an expert on some aspect of photography, and if possible, become a published expert. Write a little thing for your local newspaper or for your, write any kind of, become an expert. When you become an expert, it turns the tables. People tend to come to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry. And also, um, Another thing uh, that is always useful when uh, to, 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 to stop selling and start and start moving people your way is is uh, incredible product knowledge. Now, not just about cameras, but about the subject. If you're going to do weddings or if you're going to do portraits, become have an enormous amount of knowledge about what you're doing. So that really, when you approach someone, in a way, you're just sharing your knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 look, we we are. All business, I don't care what you do for a living, all business is about taking good ideas to market. That's all. Whether you're selling nuclear submarines or girl guide cookies, we are all, all you photographers out there, and you too, with your program, we are, you are all a unique part of the idea delivery system. Uh, you're, take, you're actually taking ideas to other people with your show. But the photographer is part of the idea delivery system. They're taking a good idea and taking it to the market. So first of all, figure out what your good idea is. If your good idea is, is that you happen to be the world's best photographer of earlobes, well, do, do so. Become really good at it. 
if you if you're going to be a great wedding photographer, become a central resource for other people that they can say eventually, you know what, that guy down the road there, he really knows his stuff. He knows this stuff backwards, and word of mouth will do the work for you. And then when they come into your studio or you approach somebody somewhere, uh, that then uh, then um, then you can start showing your knowledge. But incidentally, I do have a thing in my business training program which I call. You've heard, I'm sure, of, of a 10-second commercial. So you bump into someone and say, well, what do, you, what do you do for a living? All right. And, uh, and so there is a really great formula for, for imparting what you do uh, to, to other people. In the, in the, if you do have to do a sale, you can do it in about 10 seconds. Okay. So get, get, get your 10-second pitch down and be comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, I actually mean it. Uh, mm. But uh, but there is. A, I'll give you the formula for a good ten-second pitch. Please. And, it, and it's 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 um, it has three parts. The first part is uh, starts with the words "Do you know how?" Um, the second part is that "Well, we" or "Well, I." And the third part begins with "So you" or "So they." For example, here's an example. Um, let's say, let's say, let's say this is a, a software product for, for lawyers, as an example. I, I like. Um, you know how lawyers have uh, trouble keeping track of their hours? Yes, so they're going to agree with you. Well, we've developed a software package where they can enter their hours in 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 in, in five seconds, uh, so they can make more money, spend more all their time doing law work, and make more money. Basically, you put together something about your own job. You know how people have difficulty finding a good child photographer? They're going to say yes as long as it. As long as it, yes is a legitimate or no is a legitimate answer, you can't tell somebody, uh, you know, how, how UFOs are falling on the earth every night because they're, they're going to say, well, no, they don't. So you've lost your credibility. But you need to offer them something where they can say yes to it. Then you say, well, we have developed a studio where kids feel very comfortable. We have toys everywhere so that when they get onto the set, they're so relaxed and the parents relax and we take great pictures. That sort of thing. In other words, it's not a blatant sell. Mm -hmm. You're telling them what what makes you unique mm -hmm. in 10 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. and, and through the lens of defining it as a solution to a problem that they know about or might have. No, I don't. I, I don't see anybody who doesn't have photographs as having problems, unless it's a model who needs a good headshot. But, but you, you can't. You, you can't tell other people about their own problems. Mm -hmm. You can't. You, you, I, I, if someone came to me and said, you know, you, when people come to me and say, you know, you know how people, blah blah blah, I think, well, you're wrong because I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, you immediately lose your credibility if you start off with a line that they can answer, uh, they can give you the answer you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we, we, we're both speaking in great vagaries here, but, but basically what I'm saying is that don't start off uh, your, your pitch by saying, you know how some people got a problem with photo photographs. Well, you don't start that way. Start on the upside. Mm -hmm. No, I, I hear you. So start. So that's you know phrasing it in a way that uh, doesn't define it as a problem, which they may or may not have. Well, absolutely. You, you, you know, most people. <laughs> It's like telling people what they think, and that happens all the time with people who are unsuccessful. They tell other, and incidentally, sorry, just to completely go sideways for a second here. Um, in the three books I've written, we modeled excellence in other people. We looked at people who could do something and figured out how they do it. We looked for common threads. For, for my first book, How to Make People Like, we looked at about 400 people who um, in 90 seconds or less could um, could connect and engender trust and respect in other people. For my business book, we looked at about 700 people who could basically connect and convince in around about 90 seconds or start convincing. In my love book, we looked at about 2,000 people mm. um, who... who um, 
who had been together for, for more than 20 years and were still actively crazy about each other. But for each book, we had a control group of people who couldn't do it. We looked at about 200 people who couldn't connect socially, couldn't connect in business, and couldn't connect uh, for relationships. In those, those 600 people, for those three groups, we found two things in common throughout. One, they were inflexible. They kept doing the same thing over and over. Okay. In other words, they listen to a show, they listen to me and say, ah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they keep going and doing the same thing. And, and so flexibility is enormous. But the other thing was they seem to have all of the answers and no good questions. Mm-hmm. They could blame it on this. They could blame it on that. Well, my studio's not big enough. Well, we don't live close enough to that. I can't afford to advertise in the newspaper. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, instead of asking good questions, how can I change this? How can I do this? How can I do that? I used to work in a psychiatric hospital, and we would tell the patients that the uh, definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over and expecting it to come out differently. Well, I think that's a great idea, except for saying that to crazy people. <laughs> Well, the, the, these these patients were capable of pulling it together in the, in the doctor's esteemed opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I know what you mean, but I, I I think in the book I said it's the definition of futility because mm-hmm. it's absolutely futile. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how, I, look, I've got five children. I said that before, but you know, how many parents do you hear saying to their kids, "How many times do I have to tell you? Do I have to shout and say that? Well, you know what? You don't have to say it at all anymore because it obviously doesn't work. Right. Try something different. Right. It didn't work the first hundred times. Yeah, it didn't work. The, the 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 underlying philosophy of all my books also, which is right there in the book you, you have with you, is what I call KFC. Know what you want, find out what you're getting, and change what you do till you get what you want. Mm-hmm. Any good photographer can relate to that because photography is done on the fly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of improvising done if you're going to be a good photographer. You know what you want out of the shot. You find out what you're getting. Whoa, this person can't stand up straight or their eyes are crossed or, or, their, or their clothes don't fit. Change what you do till you get what you want. That's one of the ways that digital photography has made it easier, right? Because you can see right there in the back of your camera if you're uh, if you're if you're getting close to what you want. Sometimes, yeah, but you, it, sometimes. But go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I agree with you, but you know what? The, the best bit of advice I ever got as a photographer forty years ago was: there's no excuse mm-hmm. um, for a, a shot that that is out. Well, in those days, that's that's underexposed or out of focus, or with the wrong exposure, wrong focus, and the wrong composition. Right in the first place, you can manipulate them later, but they're great photographers. Mm-hmm. Still get their their twin lens Rolly flex out and compose everything right there. Now, let's talk about another situation photographers may find themselves in. Um, you're in the studio, you've, you've made the sale, um, and your subject comes in and is not a professional model. Now, I know you've worked with a lot of professional models who you know, know what they're doing and they come in with a certain confidence, but what's, what are some ideas you have for helping make comfortable the uh, subject who, who you know, is looking for um, you know, boudoir photographs? For her husband for Valentine's Day or, you know, their senior high school portraits, who's not a pro, and, and you want to help them to feel comfortable. Well, uh, the, the, the best way I can relate to you in that is that I did used to shoot for these sort of pictures you would find in the, in the, in the Sunday Times or the New York Times glossy magazines of executives in their boardroom with all their people there mm-hmm. who weren't professional models, but they sure looked like it by the time we finished photographing <laughs> them. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that your example is, 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 is extreme from from my world to have to have an amateur photographer who's not sure of himself uh, trying to take boudoir pictures of somebody. Well, you know, good luck. 
um, uh, because. Uh, but you know, if if you want to, if you want to, to make, if your question is as it was, how do you make a model feel comfortable? Um, first of all, when when they come in, do the thing that said in the beginning. Look them in the eye, smile, open your body language, um, and but you know what, make darn sure that you're an expert in what you're shooting because mm-hmm. it, it comes down to trust. People have to feel three things when they're with you. I trust you, you make sense, and you move me. All right? Mm -hmm. And move me, I mean emotionally. So they first of all have to trust you. The place has to look. They have to feel safe. It has to be trusting. And it has to be business-like. I think as far as making sense goes, the the way you you decide to to photograph the person has to make sense to them. It has to be... uh, It has to be sensible. It has to be... be, I'm not going to say artistic because that's 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 um, that's debatable, but uh, or, or, or uh, subjective. But then, but then you have to move them. You have to move them into into position rather than rather than tell them what to do. The simplest example is, you know, no no photographer will say to a model, "Okay, well now smile." You make them smile and said, "I just I just say, can say great, say great when I say great, 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 great." The next thing you know, they're smiling. Mm-hmm. So, 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 get in the mood with the person. Uh, create the mood with with your with your attitude as well. Well, those are some great tips. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's Nicholas Boothman. The book that I read that we're talking about is how to make people like you in ninety seconds or less. But depending on your needs, you might be interested in how to connect in business in 90 seconds or less, or even how to make someone fall in love with you in 90 minutes or less. So um, no, ma- no matter what area of your life you're looking to make those connections in. Uh, and, and can I invite your, your, your listeners to go to nicholasboothman.com and there's lots of information and, and uh, free stuff there. Absolutely. And it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> So, Michael, you have to promise me you'll go back and listen to Mr. Boothman's interview. Yes, I want people to like me. I, I think people do like you. What was this? What was the Stuart Smiley line? I forget. I like myself. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that you know people like me and something <laughs> like that. There, it, it was a couple of things he said. A little mantra. Well, I'll keep telling myself that then. You do that, and also tell everybody where they can find us one more time. You can find us at photography. Dot personal life media. You can write us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. And you can also find us at scottsphotoblog.com. And check out our Smug Mug site, dplife.smugmug.com. Oh, yes. And we will be announcing, hopefully in the next week or two, the finalists from our first photography contest, right? Yes, we shall do that. We need to get it together with that. We'll have to rope in Laurel Housden the queen of all contests, get her input, and then then pick the, 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 the top pictures, just like American Idol, right? Yes. But you're, but you're the Simon, because you're mean. I'm the mean guy? I don't think right. so. See, stop being mean, and then people will like you in 90 seconds. Oh, is that the trick? People don't will be like mean you if you give them your camera. <laughs> My broken camera? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe they won't like you. Here you go. You'll Craigslist that camera, and then it doesn't work. I do. I do have a Mac warranty, so this is going to be one of those tests to see how well the Mac warranty works. Uh, a three-year warranty? Yeah, I think I get a three-year warranty, an extended warranty. So it usually this takes. This is like the third DSLR that I think is punked out on you, right? Well, this is my second. I had my D70 went in the shop twice. Well, right. 
Okay. Well, and the then this will be the first the time. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's not speaking much for reliability there. No, I have never had a DSLR go out on me. What can I say? Well, I, I, mean, I never use them. Well, that's one way to do it. You put them in a, a nice crystal case. Right. They're there, you know, nobody's allowed to touch them or breathe on them, but they are uh, well kept. All right. Well, Michael, thank you for joining us. And thank you to everybody else for joining us once again for another episode of Digital Photography Life. This week, Nicholas Boothman, a little on the edge, not our usual kind of photography centered show necessarily, but I think his skills about establishing instant rapport, making that connection and getting people to like you are really helpful in any field, yeah, almost, right? I mean, you almost always are dealing with people, right? It's, but yeah, in photography, you have to make a connection really quickly sometimes with people. To, Unless uh, you're a strict landscape photographer, in which you need to talk to the trees like you, or mountains like you in 90 seconds uh, or less. That's, yeah, that's, that could be easy. Michael, the, with the way they've been crapping out on you, I'm, I'm going to get you a book called How to Make Your DSLR Like You. <laughs> <laughs> in 90 seconds or, or, or maybe 30 months or less. 30 months or less because in 30 months I'm getting a new one. See, it knows. It knows that it's about to go out to pasture. So it just kind of, I think it committed suicide. Well, it's just telling me that it's time to upgrade. Well, you should, Michael. And we all can't wait to hear what you get. Okay. We'll, we'll get a fun going, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Right after we collect for all the other world's needy causes. <laughs> after we fix global warming and world hunger... We're all about you, Michael. Or I can just get my camera fixed. For free, because you bought the extended warranty, That's right? That's right. Well, we'll see. If it, but you, you know you're jonesing for a new one anyway. Well, it so. takes like three weeks to get it fixed or something like that. So it's you know that's back to the D70. Yeah, this is going to be painful. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll have to get some loaners, right? Or I'll just... Oh, speaking of loaners, evaluation units, PMA, we're not there this year. We always go, right? We've always gone, well, and we've gone twice before to PMA, and this year we didn't make it out there for a number of reasons. And uh, I'm, I feel bad. I feel like I'm really missing it. It's happening right now. Today was the final day. I know. And uh, I'm very sad we didn't go because it, we have a lot of fun when we go. And We do. We couldn't make it out this year, but we will get there soon enough. But um, the folks from Camera Dojo were there. Yes. And so... They're a show also on Personal Life Media, and if you can give them a listen, they're going to be posting some interviews and stuff, and they're, you know shows about their experience there. So please listen to their show. Yes, I'm anxious to hear what kind of experience they have. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, I've been looking out for announcements, and really, there haven't been too many earth-shattering announcements. I mean, one of the ones exciting to me were that the, the Panasonic G1 had been upgraded to include high-def video. Right. And so that's one thing I was going, oh, cool, finally. Um, yeah, no, I thought that was very neat, too. And, you know, that makes it more attractive to me. Hey, and maybe, maybe that's what I'll get for... Dojo, hmm? Also on Personal Life Media, we should also mention our other new photography show on Personal Life Media called Learning Digital Photography with the wonderful Jason Anderson. He is the former, well, he's, he still is, yeah. uh, the Canon blogger. And so now we have three photo shows. That's true. One network. What the heck are you listening to us for? Go listen to one of them, right? That's right. Oh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Oh, oh, oh.